and welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. I'm Brian Wise, and in this episode, I'm talking to Jason Isbell, who I call the King of Americana. And I think that title is pretty well justified. The 42-year-old guitarist began his career in the drive-by truckers before releasing his first solo album in 2007. And since then, he's released six more albums with his band, The 400 Unit, the latest of which was Reunions, which we spoke to him about last year. Since 2009 and his second album, simply titled Jason Isbell and The 400 Unit, he's won nine Americana Awards and four Grammys. That's pretty impressive. Now, as a tribute to Isbell's guitar playing, Fender have released the Jason Isbell Custom Telecaster, marking his first collaboration with the iconic guitar brand as part of its artist signature series. Other names in this year's series include Chrissy Hind in the Telecaster range, Joe Strummer's Campfire Acoustic Guitar, and Danny Harrison's Ukulele. They join legends such as Jimmy Page and James Burton in the Telecaster range and Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix in the Stratocaster series. Isbell worked with Fender on the design and his signature Telecaster comes equipped with all of the same modifications, even his known road-worn markings that the Americana guitarist has sought out for touring and recording throughout the years. You can find out all about the Jason Isbell Telecaster at the Fender website. The launch of the guitar luckily offered me the opportunity to chat to Jason, who, when I caught up with him, was in Oklahoma, where he's making his movie acting debut in Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, starring Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Lily Gladstone, as well as Isbell and Sturgill Simpson. I am in Oklahoma. I'm, okay. I'm on location uh, filming a, a movie. Oh, this is the new Martin Scorsese movie. Right, yeah, yeah. That's exciting. It is really exciting. I'm out here. Got here a couple of weeks ago, and I'm here until July. So it's a it's a pretty big, pretty big project. But uh, but I'm enjoying myself a lot so far. Is this your acting debut? <laughs> well, in in a movie, you know, I've done a few. Like I, I have a voiceover part um, in a TV series, and then I was in the uh, HBO movie Deadwood, but I didn't have any any words or anything to say. I, I just I just stood there. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've technically been in a movie before, but I've, I've never had any, any lines. So this is, this is all new to me. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, I don't know how I wound up getting the part, you know, um, but I'm, I'm certainly happy. I'm just kind of, I just tell everybody, I don't know what I'm doing. So just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And, uh, so far that's worked out. I assume that they're not getting you to play the guitar or anything like that, are they? Well, um, you know, I, I haven't I haven't done anything like that to this point, but uh, but we'll see. Who knows? Who knows? Well, look, looking forward to that. It probably it will probably come out next year. I would imagine, wouldn't it? I would think so. Yeah, I don't I don't know, but it's 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 certainly not happening anytime too. Soon. They still got a lot of work left to do, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to go see it in the movie theater when it comes out. It's been a long time. Is sitting around on a movie set more frustrating than working in a recording studio i mean if i was frustrated to sit around and wait on martin scorsese i would be an <laughs> asshole you know to tell you the truth i don't yeah i'm fine man i'm just gonna be sitting somewhere i might as well be sitting around waiting on martin scorsese to give me something to do you know it's a little windy but uh it's oklahoma so i guess you know what you're getting into there but yeah it does it's a long day and it is real work um and it's it's not easy but I got no complaints about it at all. I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. 
And if you're going to start your acting career, why not start at the top with Martin Scorsese? Oh, I know. That's 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 what I told my agent. I was like, I would like to do the greatest movie of all time, please, and call me when they say yes. No, I, 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 I I'm very lucky that 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 this is my first. Uh, role you know it's it's a short resume but so far it's a pretty good one jason last year we spoke must have been around this time last year because it was just before the release of the reunions album and uh, it's been a strange year since then i know you've released a single uh with amanda since then i've recently got a live album that you recorded in macon a few years ago that's just been released on Bandcamp. Yeah, that was a good time there. That was that was a really fun show, I remember. And what else have you been doing in that year? I mean, have you been able to do any more new recording? Have you Yeah, I assume you weren't be weren't able to go out on tour following the album. No, we did a few like outdoor socially distanced shows last fall, but of course the weather didn't allow for that very long. Um uh, but we've spent quite a bit of time in the studio. I've been working on a, an album with uh, my wife. It's her album, but I've been playing guitar on it. And uh, also I, I um, recorded an album of some favorite songs of mine from the state of Georgia uh, as, as a benefit there for, for uh, what I, what I did was, is when, when we were having the election here, I said, if, if uh, Biden won the state of Georgia, cause it looked like he, he had a chance uh, thanks to Stacey Abrams and a lot of other people who organized. But I said, if he won the state of Georgia, then I would make a, an album of my favorite Georgia song. So I've been working on that. That's been a whole lot of fun. I don't know when that'll be out, but we're getting close to being done with it. And, you know, I've been spending a lot of time with, with my daughter. She's five and, and uh, she's actually out here in Oklahoma with me now so that's that's been enough for me definitely hey last time we spoke we were both bemoaning the fact that the high women's album had not been more successful but since mm-hmm. but since then it's had a lot more success i'm very pleased to say including um, yeah album of the year at americana and the song of the at the Gra- grammy so that must have been very pleasing for you and amanda it was, you know, it was really good. And, and right before I came out here to Oklahoma, she and I went to the Academy of Country Music Awards where they were nominated for uh, Group of the Year. Um, so that was great. You know, I, I was glad to see it getting some attention uh, because I do feel like it's a beautiful record. I went back and listened to it again recently and and it's still just a staggeringly good piece of work, you know, song by song and all the performances are great. And yeah, I mean, hopefully when things open back up, they'll be able to go play some shows behind it. I know I know they had plans to, but I guess we all had plans, you know. It's funny how long it took people to catch up on that album, but it's great to see that it, that, 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 that they did. Yeah, it definitely. And, and, I mean, that happens a lot in, in the popular country music world. You know, if, if something's not marketed really hard and fast to radio, it, it can take people a while to catch up to it. But, but yeah, it's a good thing to see that, that people are appreciating their work. I was a high woman and a mother from my youth. For my children, I did what I had to do. My family left Honduras when they killed the Sandinistas We followed our coyote through the dust of Mexico Every one of them except for me survived And I am still alive Now you're going out doing some shows starting 
with the 400 unit in June, I guess, and going straight right through to the end of the year with dates. And I guess you'll be using the Telecaster, which is why we're talking, because the, the yeah. Fender in your name is being released. Can you tell us how that all came about? Yeah, you know, they, they uh, I mean, I've been working with Fender for quite a while and, and playing a lot of the guitars. They've treated me well for a long time now. Um, but then when the idea came up to do a signature guitar, they approached me, Ben over at Fender approached me about that. And, uh, you know, I was all for it. I mean, I've played those guitars since I was a kid, you know, my first uh, electric guitars. I, well, I had one that my uncle gave me a, a, a Les Paul copy, but really soon after that, I got a, a Strat. And then I got another one a few years later. And, and really my formative years as an electric guitar player were all spent on Fender guitars. So yeah, it was a no brainer for me. And I chose to go with the Telecaster just because you know, I've had such a good experience with those instruments on the road. I, I think the design is is probably the best electric guitar design of them all. And, uh, you know, they're very reliable and they're not um, expensive guitars to make. Uh, so I wanted to do one that was accessible to a lot of people, but also versatile enough to where you could cover most styles of music with it. And I think we pulled that off. Did you help out with the design and the color? Because it's um sort of yeah. a distinctive color, isn't it? Yeah, and I have a a, a custom shop uh, Sunburst Telecaster that uh, is a little bit darker, um, but we wanted to do something to sort of differentiate from that 1959-1960 uh, Tele Custom Sunburst finish. Um, so they lightened up the inside of the finish a little bit, and uh, you know, I think I think it looks great. Um, but you know, we wanted something that people would recognize as as that particular model and uh that's hard to do uh, to you know and and not stray too far from the vintage guitar aesthetic um so i feel like it, it's there's a very fine line there because if you if you make something that's too immediately recognizable there's no way to make it look like a vintage guitar so i think we tried to approach that from a very similar uh way to how i i, I do my records it's like i, I want to do things that they could have done back then but didn't necessarily choose to and, and i think that worked well for the uninitiated what's the difference in playing a telecaster compared with a stratocaster well you know a stratocaster usually not always but usually they have a a a, a, a bar a, a tremolo bar um, which is it's kind of a misnomer. It doesn't really do tremolo, but it's it's a it's a pitch. You know, it's it's got springs inside it, and then it's a whammy bar. You can you can make the pitch of the guitar go up and down. A lot of people prefer hardtail Stratocasters, but the pickups are are really the the main difference. The body style is a little different. A Strat's made to be a little bit more comfortable when you're sitting and playing it, but uh, but the real difference is in the uh, in the pickups because a, a Telecaster you know, has this kind of twang uh, that you hear in a lot of country music, a lot of roots-based rock and roll, like the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen or something. Um, whereas a Strat is probably traditionally more thought of as a, a lead instrument or a solo instrument. Now, you were in the drive-by truckers for a while. Did you use a te What sort of guitar did you use in that, a Telecaster? 
played a Telecaster for a while with them. I also, I played a Stratocaster with them, and then uh, a Gretsch and a Les Paul. I went through a bunch of different guitars. I had a tendency to damage guitars in those days because we were playing rowdy shows and we were all drinking a lot. So yeah, I, I busted a lot of guitars accidentally back then. I don't, I don't break guitars uh, as often now, which is a good thing because I've got a lot of more valuable guitars than I used to have. Yeah. Um, they had a very distinctive or have a very distinctive guitar style to their music but you've got Mm -hmm. something that's different so after being with them for a few years how did you develop your own style with the guitar how were you able to do that I mean there are obviously some references in your music to what you used to do but you've you've got you developed your own style and people hear it and they say that's Jason Isbell so how did you do that well, you know, I just stopped uh, writing songs for that band, uh, and really it happened naturally. I mean, you know, I think for me, developing my own style started out with imitating other songwriters and other musicians and then figuring out which of my mistakes I should leave in. And I think that's how it happens with a lot of people. You know, I've I've heard that, that Nirvana was trying to sound like the Beatles, you know, but they missed the mark in the best possible way. And I think for me, that was it. You know, I followed a lot of my songwriting influences. And then when I found something that uh, that didn't sound to me like I had hit the mark, you know, I would decide, well, but is this better or worse than what I was aiming for? And, and if you can figure out which of your mistakes uh work out for the best and follow those and eventually you'll you'll sound like yourself i remember back in the 80s they had a an expression for the kind of sound you've got but a few bands did then a few artists did then they used to call it kind of a high lonesome sound how would you describe the sound you get that's a good question i mean it's rock and roll music you know it really it's good the good news is you don't have to describe it as much anymore because you can just look it up on your phone pretty quickly and and cheaply for better or worse but um it's you know it's rock and roll music and uh it's not hard rock and it's not soft rock it's somewhere in the middle it's like it's like the 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 three bears it's like the goldilocks porridge and the three bears it's just just right On that recent recording from Macon, Georgia, well, the concert from a few years ago that's just been recently released on Bandcamp, on one of the songs you played Dwayne Orman's Gold Top, Les Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tell us how that came about and tell us what the difference in the sound is between that and something like the Telecaster. Oh, well, there's a huge, there's a huge difference uh, sonically. Now, they, they've, they've had that guitar at the big house um, which is the Allman Brothers Museum in Macon for a long time now. And, and they take really good care of it and uh, bring it out to certain shows and, and certain musicians and, and ask if they'd like to play it on stage. And so it was, it was an honor for me to get to do that because it is a beautiful instrument and obviously it carries a lot of history that's really important to me because a, a lot of my playing 
was influenced pretty directly by Dwayne Allman, um, especially the slide guitar stuff. You know, I, I don't. I, I think it's pretty hard to to become a slide guitar player uh, worth your salt if you haven't spent some time with Dwayne Allman's playing. Um, uh, so yeah, it was it was huge, you know. But a Les Paul sounds really thick and really heavy and it's it's not a it's not a particularly clean sound you know but it sustains really well and you know it's it's probably equally expressive to the telecaster but uh the telecaster is more ringing and i mean people say twangy and sometimes twangy is the right word if you're trying to play you know something that sounds like country music but uh you know keith richards plays the telecaster and if you go back and listen to uh you know, the Rolling Stones when Mick Taylor was in the band and, you know, Keith's playing a Telecaster and Mick Taylor's playing a Les Paul, you can definitely uh, tell the difference. You know, it's kind of like the difference between uh, uh, whiskey and tequila. I mean, you know, they, they wind up with the same effect, but, uh, but they go down a lot differently. <laughs> to a rhythms podcast i'm brian wise and i'm talking to jason isbell how many guitars do you have on stage with you how many do you take on stage just just one at a time man just one at a time (laughs) i can't i can't play more than one at a time um no usually i travel with about a dozen guitars or so um because uh you know i i don't I, i don't like to tune in between songs and also you know, I, I like to play a bunch of different guitars. It's fun for me to play a bunch of different guitars through the course of the set. And, and now that we have room to travel with all of them, uh, yeah, usually I take a, about a dozen out, usually like three or four acoustics and seven or eight electric guitars. When you say you don't like to tune in between set, you don't uh, between songs, you don't have to tune? Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, I mean, if, if you're uh, playing in clubs, you probably don't have a whole bunch of guitars with you you don't have the space in your van for them and you also probably don't have uh stage hands and a, a guitar tech uh to take care of that but you know back when i didn't have a guitar tech and we were driving ourselves around in a van i i traveled with one guitar and uh you know it had to be one that would stay in tune and very often that was a, a, a telecaster that's one of my favorite things about a telecaster is that they stay in tune really really well even in extreme weather conditions like I played a show in Austin, Texas uh, for Willie Nelson's 4th of July picnic a few years ago. And and my pedal board went out right when I started the set. So I had to play the whole set with just one guitar and I didn't have to tune the thing. It was, it was a Telecaster and it made it through the entire set and stayed in tune. And it was really hot. And we were playing during the daytime in the sunlight on the 4th of July in Austin, Texas. Um, so I'll always be impressed with that. Uh, you know, but, but yeah, I've, I've, I've got uh, Michael, my, my guitar tech over there tuning the guitars. And if I bring enough guitars and I change out after every couple of songs and I don't ever have to stand there and tune the guitar, you know, make everybody wait on me. 
Yeah, I recall seeing Jeff Beck a few years ago playing in Oakland and he used a, oh. one, one guitar. I think he might have used a 1958 Telecaster, I'm not sure. And he used one yeah. guitar and never had to tune the guitar. I think he swapped guitars for the for the encore where he did a version of A Day in the Life, but uh, for the entire show he only used one guitar, which I was pretty impressed with as well. Yeah, well, you know, Jeff Beck also, I mean, he know he knows a certain way to play those kind of guitars that 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 keeps them in tune and and i know that's a strange thing but um but you do find out especially if you've had one guitar for a long time and you get used to it you know what it likes and what it doesn't like and and uh you know i mean he's he's obviously one of the all-time greats so he he knows what he's doing plus he bends so many notes i mean even if he was out of tune you probably wouldn't be able to tell from the audience not not with jeff beck he, he would just bend it to pitch and nobody would know the difference Jason, you've said you've recorded some songs for this album of uh, Georgia songs. Are you doing any other recordings? Any is there any other likelihood of an album coming out? I haven't you? made plans for it. You know, I mean, it, definitely I will put another album out at some point. But uh, you know, I'm out here working on this movie for a while, um, and that needs to take uh, a lot of my energy because I don't want to screw it up. You know. Um, uh, it's 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 a pretty big movie, so I, I don't want to mess it up. But um, yeah, I'm sure I'll get back in the studio soon. You know, I didn't spend all of the pandemic writing songs like some people did. I, I gave myself a break, you know, and and thought, well, uh, we're in the middle of all this really sad, weird shit, so I don't have to force myself to try to to try to you know write King Lear while we're in quarantine or something. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm always writing songs and, and it won't be too long before another album happens. I never, I never wait longer than a couple of years between albums anyway. Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night and they blew up his house too. Out on the boardwalk, they're getting ready for the fight. 
I was thinking that because the uh, the lyrics on reunions was so were so personal, it was probably a pretty cathartic experience, and you got quite a lot out of your system in a way. And it might have been good to take a break after that and sit back once you've got that out. Well, you know, it happened, so we're going to say it was it was good. Um, <laughs> what I would have preferred is to go out and play those songs. You know, the the real release for me comes. Uh, after I have written the songs and recorded the songs, when I get to go out and actually share them in real time with audiences and play them with my band every night because they change. And, you know, I love my job. So it was a really, it was a difficult thing to, to be without it for that long. But, uh, but I had, I had a lot of, uh, uh, um, things to be grateful for. You know, I, I have a healthy, happy family and a young child at home, and I spend a lot of time with her. And, and also, I got a bunch of really great guitars. So I sit around and play guitar. I don't have any neighbors close by. Some days, you know, when I was feeling really pissed off and frustrated, I would just uh, go out to the barn uh, and, and turn the Marshall all the way up and, and play for nobody but myself. It was ridiculous volumes uh, for a few hours and, and get a lot out of my system that way. Sounds like Neil Young, more barn. More barn, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody would have needed more barn in my situation because that sucker was loud. But, yeah, we, we don't have neighbors close by, so that's good. And our neighbors are mostly musicians anyway, so I don't think they would have minded. Same dream I have about twice a week I had one glass of wine I woke up feeling fine And that's how I knew it was a dream Last night I dreamed that I'd been drinking Cold burn whiskey down my throat My hand turned into a rattlesnake And I laughed myself awake And that's how I knew it was a joke to a Rhythms podcast. I'm Brian Wise and I'm talking to Jason Isbell. Jason, before we go, can I ask you about a couple of friends? I want to ask you about someone that I met you with the first time I ever met you, which was at Blues Fest in Byron Bay and you were with uh, Justin. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was probably my first tour to Australia, first, I guess. First, first tour to Australia and uh, he left us last year and it seems... Mm-hmm. It seems hard to believe that must have been, I mean, it was difficult for everyone, really. And I noticed that there's, yeah. a, there's a concert happening in Melbourne uh, later in the month to raise uh, money for his daughter, like a benefit concert that's put on by musicians here because he came to mm-hmm. Australia so many times and he loved Melbourne. Yeah, so he loved much. it. He yeah. loved it over there for sure. He had a lot of friends over there, and yeah, it was sad. You know, it was it was really sad. And and he and I hadn't been close over the last few years. Um, you know, mostly because you know of his addiction issues. Um, and I mean, 
it's just tough. You know, it's tough when you have a friend who struggles with those things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say that I was surprised, uh, when he passed away. Um, uh, but I was very sad, you know, um, it's just some people have their demons and, and sometimes they can't quite conquer those. And, uh, you know, I know what happened was not necessarily his fault. I know it was something that he hadn't, uh, planned on and uh and it was it was an accidental thing obviously but uh but you know he struggled for a long time and and all the years that i knew him you know he never got to stay happy for too very long so at least he's not having to suffer at this point uh could i say that when i met you i mean you were drinking at the time as well one of the most impressive things i've seen i have to say this is a personal observation is the is the way that you managed you know justin didn't but you managed to turn your life around and become the person you are which is an incredibly impressive thing to see i have to say because it's not well, easy to do in the, in the entertainment industry it's incredibly difficult to do but you managed to do it's that. you know thank you i think it would have been harder for me if i was doing a job that i didn't love you know um i, I think if i'd been roofing or, or painting houses or, or, or teaching school or something, then it would have been harder for me because part of what helped me get sober and stay that way was the fact that I wanted to keep making music and, and being creative. And, uh, you know, I was, I was in a worse spot than Justin was when we first came over there together. He was, he was doing a good job keeping himself together at that point in time. And, and I was a mess and, uh, you know, a, a lot of it, is due to just good luck on my part. You know, I, I had people around me who, who cared enough to call me out of my bullshit and, and also helped me when I needed uh, help and when I needed to get sober and were supportive of me when I, when I was trying to stay that way. So, you know, I, I, I got, I got lucky in a whole lot of situations there that, that, you know, Justin might not have, might not have been afforded. Um, but yeah, at that point in time, uh, we were really close and we had a lot of fun, you know, and I have a lot of good memories from that trip. I'm a bad dream, not a nightmare, I'm too pretty for that. Just see, I'm the last thing you want to see come, and I'm the reason they say we'll watch it back. But for so long, I was like a wounded hound. Back to a chain link fence. The world at large was just a big mean kid poking me through the fence with a stick. Ain't nobody born bad. It takes a whole lot of hurt. There lies one of life's biggest lessons and got nothing to do with dessert. The other person I wanted to ask you about who was somewhat of a mentor to you and I interviewed him I was lucky enough to interview him and also meet him once was John Prine who came out to mm -hmm. Australia did and I saw him in at Americana etc and just put on fantastic shows can you briefly talk about his influence because he was a bit of a mentor to you at one stage wasn't he oh yeah yeah John was a, a, a big deal to me and to Amanda my wife and and our daughter and you know, we, we loved John and, and 
learned a lot from his music before we ever knew him and then learned even more from him as a person. You know, he was the same on stage as off and, and, you know, he, he loved making music. He never, he never looked at it as a chore and, and he never, uh, he never did it for the money. You know, he was, he was always out there to, to communicate with people. And, uh, and I really think that he, you know, he made, made the world around him a lot better um, just through his art and, and through the way he treated people. He, he treated everybody with respect and, and yeah, we love John. That was a big, big loss. Um, and, you know, we're still close with the family and they're all doing a great job and staying busy and picking up the pieces of their life. But it, it's left a big hole in Nashville and, and certainly in our house. Um, yeah, I don't know what else I could say about him. I mean, he was a beautiful man. I, it, one of the one of the greatest things that ever happened to me uh, through music was was getting to be John Prine's friend. You know, it was great to see his uh, final album it was probably his most successful album ever. You know, he got all yeah. these kudos and awards and everything, which was just terrific to see that you know he got that recognition it was it really was and and for me you know seeing him sort of have a victory lap there at the end uh even though we didn't know it was the end quite yet um you know it it helps temper the way uh, i think about john's memory because i do know that he was happy you know and and he was shocked, I think, by the, the amount of positive response he received to his last album and those last tours. You know, he was he was selling more tickets than he ever had in his whole life. And it was nice to be able to see that and, and just see how much he still loved making music after all those years and, and how he still loved writing songs and singing them for people. It was it was a really beautiful thing. Well, Jason, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the movie. Thank you. And, and all the best and uh, congratulations and uh, hope, hope the movie goes well for you. Could, apart from all the other awards, we might be looking at your first Academy Award. You never know. Ooh, I don't know. I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. But I, I do also, I don't think they're going to let me screw it up too bad. So I'm just going to trust them to, to make me the actor I need to be. I've been down this road before I remember every tree Every single blade of grass Holds a special place for me And I remember every town And every hotel room And every song I ever sang On a guitar out of tin I remember everything Things I can't forget The way you turned and smiled on me On the night that we first met And I remember every night Your ocean eyes of blue How I miss you in the morning light Like roses miss the dew John Prine and his Grammy Award-winning song, I Remember Everything, and we were talking to Jason Isbell about John Prine, Justin Townsell playing the guitar and making his acting debut. And, of course, we referred to the Fender Telecaster that now bears Jason 
Isbell's name, the music we heard during the interview. Uh, well, we heard a little bit of The Saint of Lost Courses as well from Justin Townsville, the title track of his album of the same name. Atlantic City, written by Bruce Springsteen, but performed there by Jason at Live at Welcome to 1979, as well as his version of the Rolling Stones song Sway. Never Gonna Change, featuring Jason and Dwayne Allman's gold top Les Paul with the 400 unit live at the Macon Auditorium and that album and live at Welcome to 1979 available now on Bandcamp not sure for how much longer so if you're a fan and you want to get it you better go there soon Overseas from the Reunions album and the High Women from the High Women's album featuring Amanda Shears and terrific album Well, I hope you enjoyed our Rhythms podcast this week with our special guest, Jason Isbell. I'll be back next week with another podcast. And if you feel moved to subscribe to the magazine or just find out what it's all about, go to rhythms.com.au. You'll find all the details there. We'd love to have you on board. Thanks for listening. You can always email me, admin at rhythms.com.au. Look forward to hearing from you.